Christ didn't come to earth to stand in your place with some degree of hesitation. He didn't come whining and complaining about what he had to do. There was within his own heart that same joy to do good to you. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part five of his eight-part series titled The True and Better Adam. Last time, we examined the sad reality that when Adam sinned because God appointed him to serve as our representative, all of humanity fell under the curse of that sin. Think of it this way. As your representative in the human race, Adam made a choice on your behalf, and you received the legal verdict of guilty for that choice. Now, at first glance, that seems kind of unfair, doesn't it? Well, last time we examined in detail why it's actually not unfair at all. The primary reason being that every human being would have made the same decision to sin. Well, today, Tom will begin to look at the ways in which Adam and Jesus are similar and the vast set of differences between the two. Let's join Tom right now on The Word Unleashed. Well, turn with me again to Romans chapter 5 as we continue to walk our way through this wonderful letter of Paul to the churches in Rome and through this second major section of the letter. It's the section that begins in chapter 5, verse 1, runs through the end of chapter 8. Paul is here laying out for us the security that we enjoy because we have been justified. Because we have been made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ, we can be certain, we can be secure. His love for us will never change, it will never fail. Now, specifically, in the paragraph that we're looking at together, the paragraph that begins in chapter 5, verse 12, and runs down through verse 21, Paul is explaining the legal basis on which God can justify us. I've already pointed out to you that the main point of this paragraph is this. Jesus Christ is able to secure our justification Because God appointed him as our legal representative, just as he did Adam in the garden. This is representative headship. That's what we're talking about. And it is the only way that God can still be just and yet treat you as if you had lived Jesus' perfect life and treat you as if your sins were paid for in Christ. He had to appoint Adam and Christ as official legal representatives of those connected to them, and only then could he legally give them the consequences or benefits of their actions to those that they represent. Theologians call this by two different names. One is federal headship. The word federal comes from the Latin word covenant, or co- so it's covenant headship. That's not my favorite term, although it's, it's one that's commonly used. I personally prefer the second, and that is representative headship. I think that's what we see in this passage we're studying together. Now, the heart of this paragraph is the truth that God appointed Christ as our representative, as the representative of all those who would believe in Him. But before 
he explains how Christ could represent us, Paul first explains how Adam did in the garden. And so he begins then, and we've seen it together, with Adam our representative, how sin, condemnation, and death came to all men. He explains this in verses 12 to 14, but he really explains it in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That is one of the most concise statements of our condition found anywhere in Scripture. Now, we work through this verse, and we learn that Paul makes here four basic propositions about Adam's representation of us. Proposition number one, sin entered the world through Adam. Number two, death entered the world <clears throat> excuse me, through Adam's sin. Death entered the world through Adam's sin. Thirdly, death spread to all men because of Adam's sin. And then finally, the fourth proposition we learn in verse 12 is that God credited the guilt of Adam's sin to all men. We are held, whether you like it or not, we, you and I, are held legally guilty for Adam's sin. The only human exception is our Lord Jesus Christ, who by a miraculous work of the Spirit was protected from the taint of Adam's sin. But by all sinned, there at the end of verse 12, Paul means that we all sin when Adam sinned because God appointed him as our legal representative. He acted for us all. He acted in the garden for me. He acted for you. And we received then the legal verdict of guilty for his sinful choice. Now, having said that, Paul immediately realizes that is that was as provocative in his day as it is in ours. And so he goes on in verses 13 and 14 to defend what he has just said. And here's how he defends it. He says, think about those people who lived from Adam to Moses' time. Adam received a verbal command from God. He broke it. You get to Moses, we have a written set of commands from God that people broke. But what about those people between Adam and Moses? This is verses 13 to 14. Why did everyone from Adam to Moses die? They didn't violate a verbal command from God like Adam did. They didn't violate written commands like those after Moses did. In fact, during that time period, everyone died, even infants who hadn't sinned at all. They died. And yet, as Paul tells us, it is the wages of sin that brings death. So who sinned? Why would they all die? Well, Paul's conclusion is that there's only one explanation for why all of those people died, even infants, between Adam and Moses, and that is because they all sinned in Adam as their representative. And it's the same thing that's true since. So that's his argument. So the answer then is, how did sin, condemnation, and death come to all men? The answer is through Adam, whom God appointed as our legal representative to act in our place. We talked about last time that that's not unfair because we would have made the same choice. It's fair because it doesn't matter who God puts in the garden. We all would have made the same choice. 
it's completely fair. Paul calls Adam, in 1 Corinthians 15, the first Adam. And today, we begin to examine the one that in that same passage, he calls the last Adam. That is, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's look today then, or begin to look, at Christ, our representative. How righteousness, justification, and life came to the many. This begins in verse 15 and runs all the way down through the end of the chapter. Now, let me remind you of the flow of Paul's argument here, just so you're not lost in the details. In verse 12, he begins his main argument, and then he interrupts himself. That's why there's a dash in our Bible at the end of verse 12. And in verses 13 to 17, he addressed two parenthetical issues. At the end of verse 12, he says, all sinned. And so in verses 13 and 14, he answers the question, what does all sin mean? But in answering that, at the end of verse 14, he says, Adam is a type of Christ. And so he interrupts himself a second time. And in verses 15 to 17, he answers the question, how is Adam better? Is Christ better than Adam? And then finally, in verses 18 and 19, Paul comes back to the main argument he began in verse 12, took a break from, interrupted himself. Now he comes back to it in verses 18 and 19. And then in verses 20 to 21, he just deals briefly as an aside with a question he knew the Jews would have. Okay, Paul, you've talked about Adam, that's Genesis. You've talked about Christ. What about all of that between? What about the law? And so he talks about the role of the law in the plan of redemption in verses 20 to 21. So you'll notice then, at the end of verse 14, as Paul finishes his first parenthesis, he made this remarkable statement. Look at it. Adam is a type of him who was to come. So who is the one who was to come? Well, obviously, it's Christ. But in case you're wondering, verse 15 says, the one man, Jesus Christ. So Paul then is saying that Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. But in what way? Well, again, let me just remind you, last time we looked at the similarities, how Adam is a type of Christ. Number one, it's because God appointed both of them as representatives, as legal representatives. You understand this. This is like our elected officials. We elect them. They go to Washington. They make good decisions. We benefit. They make bad decisions. We suffer. They represent us. They act in our place. Or better, maybe, a better illustration would be like a court-appointed attorney. The court appoints someone to represent you, and you either win or lose based on their competency and, and their ability to carry out the argument. Of course, your own guilt or innocence as well. So God appointed both of them as representatives. Secondly, God appointed both over their descendants or over their seed. In the case of Adam, that's his physical seed, all of us, all humanity. In the case of Christ, it's his spiritual seed, those who believe in him. So God appointed both of them as representative over their descendants or their seed. Thirdly, God appointed both as the only two representatives ever over humanity. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians 15 says, the first Adam, that's Adam, and the last Adam, that is Christ. There are not going to be any other representatives. There are only these two. And number four, 
the similarity is that God credits the results of the work of both of them to their seed or their descendants. They stand in our place, they act in our place, and God then can credit what they do to those connected to them. So Adam then is a type of Christ in those four ways. Now having said that, Paul was immediately concerned that we not misunderstand and think of Christ and and Adam as equals, like they should be on par with each other. And so he again interrupted the flow of his thought and included a second parenthetical discussion before he finally comes back to his main point in verse 18. Now the point of this second parenthesis is to show us how Christ surpasses the type Adam. Christ the fulfillment greatly surpasses the type Adam. We see this in verses 15 to 17. Now, just in case you're wondering about how I came to this conclusion, Paul makes it very clear here. Notice the contrast, verse 15. Not like much more. Not like much more. Christ is better. Verse 16. Not like, verse 17, much more. Christ is better. His work surpasses that of Adam. Now, in these verses then, Paul identifies three ways that Jesus and his redeeming work as our representative far surpasses Adam and his condemning act as our representative. Christ is better. And he's better for these three reasons or in these three ways. Number one, he's better because he brought us grace instead of judgment. He brought us grace instead of judgment. This is verse 15. Notice Paul begins verse 15 with the word but. The Greek word, there are different Greek words that are adversatives that are like our word but. This is one of the strongest ones. In fact, it is the strongest one. Paul uses it here because he wants us to understand that he's going to qualify his last statement about Adam being a type of Christ. And he does so through a series of contrasts. There are similarities between Adam and Christ, but understand this, there are huge differences. I love the way John Stott puts it. He says, Paul has called Adam the type of Christ, but he has no sooner made that statement than he feels embarrassed by the impropriety of what he has said. To be sure, there is a superficial similarity between them in that each is one man through whose one deed enormous numbers of people have been affected. But there, the likeness between them ends. How can the Lord of glory be likened to the man of shame, the Savior to the sinner, the giver of life to the broker of death? End quote. So that's the contrast he wants to draw for us. Yes, they're similar in some basic ways we've looked at, but they're, they're so, so different. Now before we examine those contrasts together in verse 15, I need to make one very important point of clarification to help you understand this entire passage. In this paragraph, Paul repeatedly uses the words, many and all, many and all, many and all. Now, Those words can be potentially confusing if we're not careful. In fact, some have simplistically said, well, all always means all. So later in the passage when it says all are justified in Christ, it must mean everybody's going to be saved. 
Obviously, that contradicts the Scripture. It contradicts what Paul says in this very letter. Back in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, God will render to the disobedient wrath. Not everyone is going to be saved. But there's no need for confusion here in this passage. Think of it like this. It's about representation. So when Paul speaks of the many or the all who are in Adam... Whether, whichever word he uses, many or all, when he speaks about the many or all that are in Adam, he always means those Adam represents. And who does Adam represent? Every human being. So whether it's many or all, it's every human being when he's talking about Adam. When he speaks of the many or the all in Christ, he always means those Christ represents. And who does Christ represent? Those who believe those who will believe or will receive the gift, as we'll see later in this very passage. So just keep that in mind. All and many has reference specifically to those each of them represent, and only them. So with that clarification, let's begin to see the contrast in this passage. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. Now, the Greek word transgression is the third Greek word that Paul uses in this passage so far, for sin. This word means to make a false step. It pictures someone walking down a path, and he makes a false step off of that path, or even sometimes it's used to fall from the path. That's why we speak of Adam's fall. It's this word, the fall. But this word is not an accidental word. It's not like you're walking along and you you look the wrong direction and you accidentally fall from the path. That's not the meaning of this word. This word is intentional. Think of Isaiah 53, 6, the, the picture that's drawn there. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Now, so far, so good. That sounds like it could have been accidental. We meant to stay on the path, but we just wandered away, right? No, Isaiah won't let us go there because the very next line says this, each one has turned to his own way. It's deliberate. Sin is deliberate. Our sin, your sin, my sin, it is willful. It is self-rule. It is autonomy. Now, look at what Paul says. Literally, let me read to you from the Greek text. Literally, he says this, not as the transgression, thus also the free gift. That doesn't sound quite right to our English ears, but listen to it again. Not as the transgression, thus also the free gift. What does he mean? He means there is a huge difference between the transgression of Adam and the free gift that comes from Christ. What are the differences? Well, first of all, Adam acted solely for himself without any thought of us. In the garden, when Adam chose to eat of the fruit, of whom was he thinking? You think Adam was thinking, you know, those people in the 21st century sitting in Countryside Bible Church, you know, if I do this, I'm going to really mess up their lives. No, he was thinking of whom? Himself. It's all he was thinking about. He intentionally left the path of obedience in utter selfishness pursuing his own desires. He didn't have the first thought of us, but Christ acted completely without thought of himself. His only concern was for us. Now, look at chapter 6, verse 23. There's an interesting statement here. It says, the wages 
of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Let me rephrase it so you hear it a little differently because that's very familiar and you can kind of get used to it. Death is the wage that we earned in Adam and for ourselves. Death is the wage that we earned in Adam and Christ came to secure the free gift for us. Do you see the contrast? Wage, free gift. Wage, free gift. Now go back to what Paul says in chapter 5. He says, the free gift is not like the transgression and what came from it, the wage earned. What we get in Adam is what we earned and deserved, but we receive in Christ a free gift. Verse 23 of chapter 6 goes on to say, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So he contrasts the results of Adam's sin with the free gift that's in Christ. The wage of death, of sin and death, with the free gift that comes from Christ. Now, having made that preliminary introduction, he goes on to make the contrast. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. In other words, as we've already learned, by Adam's single sinful act of rebellion, which was what? Eating the piece of forbidden fruit, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By that single act of rebellion, many died. Now remember what many means? doesn't mean a few. It means everyone Adam represented. Who, who is that? All of us. All men. That's why in verse 12 he says, death spread to all men. Verse 17, death reigned. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, in Adam all die. We all died because of Adam's act of rebellion. The only exceptions are whom? Enoch in Genesis 5, Elijah in Kings, and those who will survive to the return of Christ. That's it. Because of the one sinful act of Adam, our representative, we all die spiritually, physically, and apart from the saving grace of Christ eternally. But notice the contrast in verse 15. If by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more, much more. I love that. What does Paul mean by much more? Well, I think he means two things. I think he means that the results are much greater. What we get in Christ is much better than what we got in Adam. And he's going to explain that. But I also think he means more certain. The outcome is much more certain. If If we took time to go back to verses 9 and 10 right here in the context, that's how he uses this expression much more. In other words, what he's saying is we can be even more certain that we will receive the benefit of what Christ has done than we are that we have experienced the consequences of what Adam has done. Much more. Now look at what is much more. Verse 15, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Now notice the contrast. Adam brought the judgment of God, death. Okay? Christ brought what? The grace of God. In Adam, we received the judgment that he earned for himself and for us. But in Christ, we receive God's grace, undeserved In Adam, we get the wage that we earned and that he earned for us. In Christ, we get the free gift that is completely undeserved. 
Now, look at how Paul describes what Christ has brought us by his representation in verse 15. The grace of God. Adam brought only God's judgment upon us. Christ brought grace. What is grace? I love that word. I hope you never get tired of that word. I hope you never get tired of thinking about that word, about hearing it, of hearing it defined. What is grace? Let me remind you. Grace is that attribute of God, that quality that permeates the person of God, that defines who He is. And this quality of grace is that in God which moves him to find joy and delight in doing good to us even though we deserve the worst from him. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of a series titled The True and Better Adam. Tom will bring you part six on our next program and we hope you'll join us then. Are you interested in attending the Master's Seminary? Countryside Bible Church is home to the Master's Seminary Dallas campus. Join Pastor Tom Pennington as he hosts the Master's Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, March 24th through the 27th at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in the church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.